Thank you for listening to this sermon from Goodwill Church, located in New York's Hudson Valley. Goodwill Church is on a mission to be a hub of revival in the Northeast and beyond. For more information about our church, please visit goodwillchurch.org. Now, here's the sermon. Okay, we are back in the Minor Prophets. Yes, you were clapping for the Minor Prophets, weren't you? Yeah, because you're excited about that. Yeah, you are. So we're in Amos today, and we'll be in Obadiah next week, and then we'll take another break from the Minor Prophets series for Holy Week, Palm Sunday, and a week's worth of services. There's cards that have all the times on it that you can pick up, that you can hand out to people in your life, people who are interested, and that's where we're headed. And then after that, we'll return to the Minor Prophets. There's 12 of them. We're on number three. It's Amos. Pray with me if you would. Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the excitement of discovering your word, discovering where things are and what you say and what you have said through prophets and through your people throughout history and how all these things that you've said, you speak directly to us as well. What was true then is true now. You are the same yesterday today and forever. We seek you in seeking to understand your word. We seek to live lives that please you by being changed by the Holy Spirit through your word. Thank you, Lord. Bring glory to yourself through this. In your name, Jesus, we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. So we were there in Israel for 10 days, March 2nd through March 12th. And it was a great time. It always is. It's hard to describe. One of the things that's hard to describe is the food. So every dinner was this buffet of all these vegetables, fresh vegetables and fresh fruits. And yeah, there's the shawarma and the falafel or some variation thereof in both cases. And then all kinds of other great food. And you always had this huge selection to choose from. No matter where we were, hotel, kibbutz, we had this big spread, you know, and, and, and dinner was fun because of that, but it was also fun because we're getting to know each other. We had 20 or so from Goodwill and another nine or 10 from other churches and other places, some of whom we knew, some of whom we were happy to get to know. And we could see God's hand in putting us all together. And I remember one night, we were there maybe the third or fourth night. We were still in Galilee. I love Galilee. I love it more every time I go. And I understand Jerusalem, and, but Jerusalem is overrun, and there's all, kind, all the religions are there on top of each other, and people are clamoring to see Jesus' sights. And you're sitting there at a holy sight, and then right next to you is somebody from the other side of the world taking a selfie. You know, so, and it's just, it's kind of crazy. But that's what Jesus is like. People everywhere want to know him, want to get to know him, have a problem with him, whether they're Christians or not. We're, we're all astounded by Jesus. We're all not settled yet on who he is and what he's done and what he's doing and what he's about because he's the center of the universe. He's the point of it all. And you can really tell that when you're in Jerusalem. 
In Galilee, though, that's where he walked on water. That's where he fed the 5,000. That's where he preached the Sermon on the Mount. That's where the Jesus ministry happened, and it's beautiful. And we were there maybe day three. It was dinner, and everyone had left, and I was there with a, a man who was part of the group that's not part of Goodwill. He was there with us named Eric Campman, and I thought he was a lawyer. I knew he was successful. I knew this wasn't his first Israel trip and that he was very interested in getting great photographs because he had a great camera and he was always trying to find a, a great photograph. And so we were all helping him out with that. And I remember talking to him and I was talking about books and publishing and he started to ask me questions about this. And in asking me these questions, he revealed that he was not a lawyer, but he had been he was not retired. He had been a publisher in New York City for 50 years. And he listed some of the books he published, and there were books that I knew about, and we talked about that. And he said at some point in time in his career, his business was tanking. And he wasn't a Christian, didn't go to church. But one afternoon, he decided to get out of his office and go downtown and go into a bookstore and buy a Bible. That happened to him. It was a notion he had. He followed it. He bought that Bible. He committed to reading that Bible every day. And it's a chain that's not been broken. And from that has come three devotionals and lots of other books and podcasts. And so really interesting to hear from him. One of the things he said that I, I, I won't forget is he said, John, I'm, I'm not in the pulpit. And, and I'm not a voice from the pulpit I'm a voice from the pews. And I think we need more voices from the pews in the kingdom of God and in the church. So I want to lead that and I want to demonstrate that. And who does that remind you of? Amos. That's who Amos was. He was not a voice from the pulpit. He was a voice from the pews. This is what it says on one of Eric's uh, websites about one of his devotionals, after reading signposts, numerous acclaimed pastors and professors endorsed the book and praised his biblical insight and found his scriptural discernment both highly intuitive and theologically accessible. So he was a lot like Amos, not a man of the cloth, even though he was a man who was prosperous and successful, and we believe Amos was as well. But it's a surprise. It's a shock when you look at the book of Amos. It's unlike any other book because all the other books come from so-called legit prophets. And Amos is different. Look here, verse 1, chapter 1. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa. What? How did he get in there? How did he sneak his book in with all the other legitimate books from legitimate prophets? What's going on here? It's a shocker. Among the shepherds of Tekoa, we know that shepherds are, are people who represent a low standing socially, whether they're prosperous or not. Here's the rest of the verse. It's all important. All the details matter and are accurate, time, place, world, situation. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. So this prophet accurately prophesied an earthquake that was coming and famine and military overthrow. He prophesied between 793 and 739 B.C., 
Many think it's the latter half of that. You might remember that Israel is overthrown by Assyria in 722 B.C. So it's just decades before the elimination of Israel as a nation by Assyria, that this man speaks, that this man is called by God to speak. And God doesn't work with the insiders because the insiders aren't doing it for him. They don't have their eyes on the prize. They're not focused where they ought to be focused. And so God does what he so often does. He picks an outsider. He picks the underdog. It's the unsuspected, the unexpected you know, the, 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 the one you wouldn't think would be the voice, the prophet, the leader, Amos. It's familiar, isn't it? Because Jesus is the same way. That's why we have a problem with him still. Because it shouldn't have been like this. It shouldn't have been him. And yet it was. And all the prophets point to him in so many ways. And in some way, Amos points to Jesus just by being Amos by being an outsider, by being a normal, regular person that God said, you, you, I want you to speak to Israel. Speak to this prosperous kingdom. Israel's north, Galilee, where I like, where all those fruits and vegetables come from, from the whole Middle East. That's why we had them on our table every night. Israel's beautiful. Judah, not as, not as much, although there's a beauty to it that's not something you just see with your eyes. Amos is from the south, speaking to the north. All these things are going to happen. The low-status worker who speaks with authority. Look at the next verse. And he said, the Lord roars from Zion. So he portrays God as a lion. I'll show you another verse. About that, next slide. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. And here's some more that Amos says. Skipping ahead, we're going to look at all the verses because they all fit together. So I want to show you all nine chapters of Amos and give you an appetite for this book so you can go back and spend time with it. But if we skip ahead, we get to know a little bit more about Amos, how he describes himself, how he describes God. Here's his description of God. The lion has roared, chapter 3, verse 8. Who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? So you get a feeling of what happened to Amos. He's taking care of business. Just, just being a good shepherd. Being a good tender of sycamore fig trees. And God says, you, I call you. It happened to him. God happened to him. The calling happened to him. He says this about himself famously later on in the book, just skipping ahead a little bit just because this identifies who Amos is. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, Amaziah was a professional prophet who by this time in the book was coming against Amos, didn't like what Amos had to say, wasn't interested in what God was saying through Amos. Pretty typical. We see that all over the Bible too. The insiders are out, the outsiders are in. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, go, prophesy to my people Israel. So Amos has something to say. Let's be sure we know who he is, what's going on. Let's start looking at the whole book. If you have a Bible in front of you, you can just open to Amos 1. I hope you're already there. Amos, southerner, speaking of the northern kingdom, said that. Chapter 1, verse 3 through 2, verse 3, features these, these statements 
for three or four transgressions. These are mostly humanitarian transgressions, and these statements are against the enemies of God, the enemies of God's people. Syria, the Philistines, Tyre, Edom, the Ammonites, Moab. And then the second shocker, the first shocker is who Amos is, that he would be called to be a prophet. That's the first shocker. The second shocker is he lists all these enemies and all their transgressions, mostly humanitarian transgressions, and then Judah is on the list as well. What? There must be some mistake here. These are good church-going folk. How are they on the list? Same reason. Three or four mostly humanitarian transgressions and then Israel, the prosperous Israel. Israel that has so much and so much in terms of an opportunity to serve God and to stand for God and to honor God. They're accused as well here. They take a prophetic pounding too, Israel does. Why? It says in Amos 4, 2, because they oppress the poor. They crush the needy. They speak about having faith. They talk the talk. It's a talk of God. But then their walk is brutal when it comes to how they treat other people. And we get immediately from Amos what we get from the rest of the Bible, that God cares about how we treat other people. We I see it often. We, 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 we focus on doctrine and correctness of theology and rightness of belief. Make sure your confession is perfect. But it means nothing if it changes nothing. A changed life is sign, a sign, the sign that you mean it when you say you believe. It's real. It's true. It's not just a show of one kind or another. And because we're human beings, our religions and our religiosity can so often, almost all the time, be a show. Something we're doing to show other people that we are in and not out that we're on the top of the heap and not the bottom, that we're the head, not the tail. Israel then receives these, these pleas from God. That in, in, as you look in your Bible, you can see, you can see the three to four, you know, over and over again, then Judah, then Israel, then the pounding that Israel takes in Amos 3, verse 1 through 5, 4, verse 5. And, and then you see these these pleas that all have this phrase, yet you did not return to me. I did this for you. I did that for you. I showed you this, yet you did not return to me. And we learn something from this. Amos is pointing out hypocrisy. We learn that the cure for hypocrisy is not to do more, try harder, not to get your act together, not to on your own, in your own power, in your own way, attempt to be a better person. That's not the solution. That doesn't work. We don't do that anyway. We talk about doing that, but we don't do that. So what can we do? Amos offers us the answer. Seek God. Hypocrisy is evidence of a disconnection with God. Maybe you sense some hypocrisy in yourself, and you, and you feel bad about it, and you don't know what to do about it. Get your eyes off yourself. Get your eyes off of your hypocrisy. 
Put your eyes back on Christ, back on God. Seek him, behold him, learn of him, delight in him, dwell with him, return to him. And that's what Amos chapter 5 is really all about. And I want to spend some time looking at several sets of verses in this chapter. And here's the first. Amos 5. Get there if you can, if you're looking at a Bible. It's there on the screen, the verses that I'm reading. Amos 5, verse 4 through 7. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, seek me and live. But do not seek Bethel. Do not enter into Gilgal or cross over to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into exile. And Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live. Lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and it devour with none to quench it for Bethel. O you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth. So Bethel, Gilgal, Beersheba, these are all different pagan or might as well be pagan centers of worship. We have the equivalent of going to church. Don't, don't just go to church. Don't just turn on your Christian music. Don't just do your religious thing. Seek me, says God. Seek me, he says, and live. Don't check a box. That's not going to work. Check yourself into me, says God. And it's, when, you, when you realize what, what God's doing here through Amos, it, it hits you hard. First of all, the, the, the accusation and the judgment feels heavy. And we recoil from it. And for many people, the words of the prophets give God a bad reputation. But they misunderstand the prophets because they misunderstand God. The words of the prophets are words of warning that come from a heart of love. And so all this warning the, the harshest of terms used here, all that seems hostile, all that seems frightening is there so that you don't go there, that you come back. All of it is God reaching out his hand to you, saying, come back to me. And here we are, we get caught up in ourselves. I know, I do all the time. I'm always trying to improve myself. And as you can plainly tell, it's not working. Right? It's not working. And I can tell too. There's no improving. And stop. That's not what life is about. It's not about me and how good I can be me. A better version of me it doesn't exist. And I don't need it to exist. Because God is real. And his gospel is true. And he calls me to himself. And he doesn't say, seek yourself and live. He doesn't say, seek self-improvement and live. He doesn't say, seek religion and live. He says, seek me. Seek God and live. Amen? And we can do that no matter what state we're in. That's right. I stepped on the clap again. I stepped on the applause. I do that all the time. See how the self-improvement thing's not working? Yeah, I do that all the time. But it is reason to applaud, isn't it? It's reason to cheer. And, and you, you get a sense of joy. I mean, Amos was probably hard to be around, hard to hear live and in person. He's hard to read as well. But get 
what God is trying to get from you in Amos. He's, he's trying to get a response from you. Come to me. Come to me. You hear it throughout the scriptures. Jesus said it all the time. He still says it. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You, you can't find it on your own. Amen. She worked really hard on that. The rest of us should do that again. Yes. Amen. We're responding to God. We're responding to the goodness of God, the spirit of God that's in our midst right now. And he's calling us to himself. And it's such a relief. And it's, it's wonderful. There's peace that he brings that we cannot produce for ourselves. We can't buy it with any amount of money. We can't acquire it through any level of power that we might acquire in our lives. We, we, we can't get the peace that only he can give, and he just gives it freely. Seek me and live. And what does it mean to seek God instead of all these spiritual places, symbolic of all religion? Well, it, it means to seek what's good. Seek good. Going forward a little bit in Amos 5, verse 14 and 15, seek good and not evil. So if you're seeking God, you're seeking good, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. So there's still hope there, but notice what Amos is saying. Amos is saying to them, you say you have God on your side. As you have said, it says there. And that's what they did say. No earthquake is coming. From the beginning, Amos is prophesying an earthquake. An earthquake comes. It's described there. You'll see it in just a few slides, in just a few moments as we look at the last chapter of Amos, the first verse. When we were walking through Israel, going from site to site, having our bus bring us from site to site, we often saw these great, tremendous temples, these great columns toppled by what? By earthquakes. And there the ruins still are. And we know that the earthquakes spoken about here, the earthquake anyway by Amos, is the result of God's judgment. But all the earthquakes and all these things that happen, the recent ones, all remind us that we live in a broken world, a world weary a world that requires the renewal that only God can bring. Seek good, not evil. So obviously the people were thinking they were on God's side or that God was on their side, but they were not. They were not living it. They did not understand that the good life is the being good life. And I think we live in a world that doesn't understand that. In fact, I think we live in a world where many, many people think the good life is the getting away with evil life. That's the good life. That's not the good life. If you're getting away with anything, you're not getting away with anything. You will be caught up in it and caught with it and by it. And it is the story of your life. And God wants to set you free from that, free from evil, free from the cover-up of evil, the justification of evil. This is why I did what I did. Free from that. Free to live. 
free to be good. There's, there's something wonderful about this, and most of us, hopefully all of us, know at least a moment or two of this when you know God, and you know God has done something in you, and you do something that you know is good, and you know you're doing this in God's power. And there's nothing like this. There's, there's no hug that compares to this. There's no expression of endearment or affection that matches this when you realize that God has changed you. He has showed you that the good life is the being good life. Another set of verses from chapter 5. I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. I hate your church. He's saying something like that. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. That's one of the famous verses, famous set of words from Amos. And maybe you didn't know where it was from. So from now on, you can think, you know, there's this saying from the Bible, and I don't know where it is. Look in the Minor Prophets. Now, you know, look in there. Look in the, in the, in the wilds of the Old Testament. And there you'll find, oh, there's that gem. There's that thing that I see. And we often see this on a banner. You know, we, we, we hear this proclaimed, and it seems distant. It seems anthemic. It seems to represent one agenda or another agenda. And now, in context, you can see that it's about doing the right thing, about being good. It's not something out there for them. It's something for me right now. Jesus said that if you believe in him, streams of living water will flow from within you. You will be a source of refreshment to people. That refreshment isn't just the words you say, but the actions that match those words. That's what Hervine saw. He goes to church to hassle these people, to give them a hard time. And after he's all done, they say, come back next week. Like, what are these people all about? What's going on here? They're people that are changed from the inside out. They're not acting good to earn God's favor because we can't do that, won't do that, and it won't work. They are are good because God showed them his favor and called them out. And he used them to call Hervine out. And now look at all the people that he, this man in our midst today, is influencing for the gospel. Isn't that amazing? You can do that too. Yes, it is. Here's, here's the, the, the Amos 5 point. To serve God... Seek good, not evil. You think, well, that's pretty obvious. I don't know if it's pretty obvious. Because I look through the world today and really through history, and I see often that Christians every once in a while decide, you know what? We've done good long enough. Now it's time to do evil. Let's do evil in Jesus' name. No. No. Evil is always evil. It's always what God does not want. There's no justification for evil, ever. And a Christian knows that. 
the people in that church that were being assaulted verbally or otherwise by Hervine and his group, you know, their, their, their worship service was being interrupted. They knew that the only response was to show love. And that's the Christian way. That's the godly way. Old Testament, New Testament, the whole 66 books of the Bible. Love. Love overcomes. Guess who won the debate? That's my testimony too. My testimony is not as cool as his. But it's still, it's a small-scale version of that. I was mean and nasty. And the people that I was mean and nasty to loved on me. And I didn't get it. And I didn't like it. And it really ticked me off. Like, what are you doing? Fight back. I don't understand this. Ah. And down I fell. Yeah. woo That's exactly right. <laughs> yes. So in the next several chapters, it's not several, it's six, seven, eight, nine, you have these, these famous images that Amos uses to, to back up his point. God calls somebody from the outside to make sure that his people really are his people. He wants us to be his. He wants us to look like his, act like his, and talk like his. He wants us to be the real thing. You don't have to fake it. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to be something you're not. You don't have to to be better than other people or even try to or even think that that has any benefit to it at all. Seek God. Seek God and live. It's funny, I'm preaching these words right now to you and the Holy Spirit is saying, I hope you're listening. (laughs) To me. I hope you're listening to what you're saying, John. I am. It's important. It matters. This is the difference. And, and, and Jesus was all about this too. And we learned that in a fresh way as we walked in his steps in the Holy Land. God wants to set his people free. And so let's go through these, these chapters. First of all, Amos 6 is the chapter of the couches. That's what I'm calling it. These are my favorite verses from the chapter Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stress themselves out on their couches. I think that's the only place in the Bible that mentions the word couches, and that is unfortunate. Amen? Because we have a relationship with our couches, many of us do, and we wish they were portrayed in a more positive light, and now apparently we're hearing woe. That's always bad when you hear woe in the Bible. You know, woe. Okay, you've gone too far. Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches. But let's see what the whole three verses says to us. Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall and who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp and like David invent for themselves instruments of music who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. So look at that. He's not saying that It's the couch or the comfort or all the other stuff there that was the problem. Although 
often in history and often in the Bible, you see that prosperity is tied to unfaithfulness. Prosperity is the greater test. And it's a test that we fail more often. When things go well, we turn from God. It's just how it works. It's just what we've seen throughout history. And most of us can see that even in our own histories, even in our own life stories. It's when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death that we're faithful. And we know what's what and who's who. And we're calling on God and trusting him all the way. When everything's going our way, we just want more of that. And God becomes like a vending machine to us. Bring us more of what we want, which isn't you. It's all this stuff we call blessings. Yes. And we become blessing-holics, you know, and just, just want more and more of that. And that's what Amos is saying was happening to Israel. You've lost sight of God because of God's blessings. And you've, you, you've lost the fact that you are, are about to be overrun. You're about to be ruined by your own actions, by your own unfaithfulness to God. After chapter 6, we have chapter 7 about the plumb line. And, and these go together. They, they, they form this pattern that I've benefited from since I discovered the book of Amos. So the plumb line is next. I love this. Listen to this. This is what he showed me. This is Amos speaking. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line and with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. That's another name for Israel. And that did happen. Military overthrow was about to occur 722 B.C. A plumb line is described online as a line with a plumb attached to it, a weight, used for finding the depth of water or determining the vertical on an upright surface. It's like a level. It sets a standard for construction. And so you can see that we, we can lose our way in chapter 6 on our couches and such, but God gives us a plumb line. He gives us a standard to build, to have our lives rebuilt on. And what is that standard? And what happens if we lose that standard that we find in chapter 8, the chapter of the famine, or a famine, as I'm calling it. Famous, famous verses. I'll highlight the verses here that are most famous, the words here. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. Ah, it's devastating. And that's where that is, by the way. That thing about the famine of hearing the word of God, it's, it's here in Amos. What's interesting here is it probably doesn't mean that there were no scriptures available that there were no scrolls that could be read. It likely means that God's people had no spiritual access to God's word. 
The Holy Spirit makes Scripture understandable to us. So the famine was that they weren't reading or speaking the Word of God. They weren't understanding it or seeking to understand it. And this is not hard to imagine. How many Bibles do you think exist within the the square mile that surrounds this room that we're in now? Dozens? More than that. Hundreds? More than that. Likely thousands. Likely thousands of Bibles, thousands of copies of the Scriptures. And yet we may be experiencing the same thing that Amos is talking about, a famine. A famine for the hearing of the word. And again, this is not something to project out over the world, over the cosmos, over them, whoever they are, over the nation. This is something to take personally. What about my own life? Is this what's been happening to me in the last couple of weeks? Has there been a famine of the hearing of the word of the Lord? Even though I've been doing my devotions and I've been going to church, am I really listening to what he's saying to me? Am I hearing it? And you can ask those questions and almost right away come up with the answers. The Holy Spirit is inspiring you to ask those questions in the first place, so he will be the one to help you with those answers. And, and you can see, well, yeah, the answer might be yes on that. Lord, I want to seek you. I've been checking boxes, religious boxes. I've been just doing the same old thing. And, but my mind and my heart and my affection has been on blessings, has been on the world, has been on my own personal private life. And Lord, this is just all coming undone before my eyes because I'm not seeking you. Help me to seek you. Because if we don't seek him, if there is a famine of the hearing of the word of God, then what's next is always destruction, moral and otherwise. And that's what you see at the beginning of chapter 9. I saw the Lord standing beside the altar, and he said, strike the capitals until the thresholds shake and shatter them on the heads of all the people. And those who are left of them I will kill with a sword. Not one of them shall flee away. Not one of them shall escape. That's a direct description of an earthquake. We were in one of several sites where we saw the remnants of earthquake. Spectacular cities, spectacular buildings crumbled. And Dr. Brian Widman brought us to one particular building that had been crushed by an earthquake, and it turns out that they found a set of human remains in this building not long ago. And it was a great puzzle. What is this person doing here? So this person had to enter this room, this storefront, during the earthquake. And it turns out that it was a student, an archeological student, that was accompanying the, the, the dig who said, you need to check the corners of the room for gold. And guess what they found in the corners of the room? Gold. He had rushed into this room to rescue that which meant the most to him, the gold, and paid for it with his life. 
And over and over again, stories like that stand as a reminder, stand as a warning. They harmonize with what, with what we're reading here in Amos. God calls us to seek him, to put him first. Hear that. Take a good look at that. I'm doing the same thing. Together, let's do this. What are we seeking? Doesn't it seem, as we look past, you know, just the, these, these, these few days we're living now, and we look into the years that we've been through, doesn't it seem that God is turning up the volume on his word, on his warning, saying, I'm serious. It's time. Come back to me. Sometimes we feel a little frustrated. We think, I don't know how to do it. You don't have to. That brings us to the last two verses. The last two in Amos. God speaking through Amos. The words of God. The word of God. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. And they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. And they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land. And they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. Look at that. After all has been said and done, God says, I will do this. I will rescue you. I will bring you back. I will save your marriage. I will give your life meaning. I will show you who you really are. Don't look to the culture. Don't look in the mirror. Look at my word. Seek me. And all the rest will follow. All that you want, all that you think that you want will follow. Seek me, says the Lord, and live. And I guess that's why Jesus said to do this. He said, do this in remembrance of me. To remember him is to seek him. It's to behold him. And what a strange way He's given us to seek him through elements of a meal. Most believe a Passover meal. We'll have Dr. Brian Widman with us Wednesday of Holy Week to lead us through this meal and to show us all the layers of meaning that we find in it. What Jesus went through that last night of his life being free, that last night of being free before being condemned and then led to the cross and then buried. No one suspected it, but then he rose from the dead and we celebrate all of that in the weeks to come. But he said, do this in remembrance of me and what we remember is the God who warns us, the God who teaches us, the God who calls us to be different, the God who calls us to be his. We remember that he is the one who makes us different. He is the one who restores, who rebuilds, who renews. As, as the men are distributing the, the communion elements, and please remember that they're a little different now. They're, it's two cups, and there's the, the bread on the bottom and the grape juice in place of wine on top, and both are being handed to you. I know we'll miss the crinkle, won't we, <laughs> that accompanied the Lord's Supper for a couple of years now, but it's a new day. And we're returning to some of the traditions of the past. 
He said, do this in remembrance of me, in remembrance of what I've done for you. I've paid the price. I've done what you can't do. So you can have what you couldn't have without me. I've died your death so that you can live my life. I've set you free from sin and death and hell. Doesn't that change everything? It changes everything. I can't remember why I was angry about that thing I was angry about. I can't remember why I was resentful. I can't remember why I was defeated in my thinking. I can't, what? Now, in the light of the cross, now as I'm remembering him, all these things fade to nothing. They don't mean anything because he means everything. Amen? Lord, thank you so much for this moment. It's a holy moment. Set apart these ordinary elements, this bread and this cup, for holy purpose. That they be to our faith, your body broken, your blood shed to pay the full price for all our sins and to set us free from sin and death and hell. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We obey you because you've told us to do this. And so we want to obey you and please you in that obedience. And we seek you. We seek you through this. Help us to see you. Help us to behold you. Help us to experience you here and now and bring glory to you through it. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to today's sermon. For more resources and information about Goodwill Church, visit goodwillchurch.org. God bless.